already getting shit on by the Gen Zs in my life for my side part and got bullied out of wearing skinny jeans. I'm no longer in you my can comfort never zone, bully, so yeah. I can't just be comfortable. You can never bully me out of uh, skinny jeans. And here's the, <laughs> here's the way to, uh, to cure yourself of that. Don't talk to any Gen Z people. <laughs> That would be so easy if my sister wasn't Gen Z. Like, it's very convenient to have a sibling that... Inconvenient to have a sibling that you love. I'm sorry. And Gen Z people, we love you. Yes, so. we do. Yeah, it's totally fine. But I'm still wearing skinny jeans and you can't stop me. <laughs> um, so we're continuing with Women's History Month. Because we're crime culture. Hey, look at that. Look at what we just did. Look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. Not me. Neither of uh, us. This one, I'm excited. I had this on the list for a, a little while. And then as I, I knew of like the basic story. And then as I started researching, I didn't realize Jersey-based crime. Oh, that kind of makes a Jersey-based crime. Well, actually, we, <laughs> Jersey didn't really give these women like any help. Yeah. So uh, not really a lot of Jersey pride in this one. No. I mean, um, but it's interesting. One would venture to argue that there's not a lot of Jersey pride in most scenarios. Whoa, whoa, okay. <laughs> well, those them's fighting words. I was gonna say. I say as many people I love are in slash from New Jersey, Jersey born bred. Well, <laughs> this story is that of the Radium Girls. Ooh, I'm yes. I'm excited for this one. I remember learning and of them and. Like when I was in school and yes, yeah, most kids in the U.S. probably did. Hopefully did. Maybe did. You probably didn't hear of some of the more rough details, which I will touch on briefly, but I will warn you before uh, we get to that. But Caitlin is stuck listening to it. Yeah, there's so. no escape for me. So nope. No Enjoy escape. yourselves. All right. Well, let's begin. So before we even talk about what happened. We have to talk about radium itself. So French physicists Marie and Pierre Curie discovered radium in 1898. And at the time, its properties weren't very well known. But what they did know right away is that their discovery was very dangerous. Marie gave herself several unpleasant burns improperly handling radium. And Pierre once said that he couldn't bear the thought of sharing a room with even a kilogram of the stuff because he was afraid it would blind him or burn his skin off. Wow. Yeah, he didn't even want to be in the same room as it. And they were the ones that discovered yeah, it. Yeah, damn. Yeah, so the Curies were working with large quantities of pure radium, so that could have uh, um, a definite worse effect than what we'll be talking about. Mm -hmm. But the conventional wisdom at the time, however, was that a little bit of the stuff was actually good for human health. Uh, this, sounds yeah. like, this sounds like cocaine and Coca-Cola shit. Yeah, and uh, we will be, like, you'll see a lot of parallels to, like, the tobacco industry, kind mm -hmm. of, in this case. Okay, that makes sense. So, in the 20s and 30s, apparently, radon gas produced from radium had successfully been used in the treatment of cancer, and consequently, many considered radium a miracle element. I'm going to guess because once you put the radium in someone's body, yes, it kills the cancer, but it's also going to kill the person. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yes, it did. It did like uh treat the cancer, but it also destroyed you. I mean, I, isn't that kind of what um 
chemo. Uh, what chemo is kind of today to to a lesser scale. It's not just gonna like. It's not. Yeah, it's not radium, but the- it it like it knocks your shit out. Like yeah. Yeah, You're, it kills the cancer, but also we're, it rocks We still you. need to wear masks because there are people out there who are immunocompromised, immunosuppressed, cancer patients, uh, people yeah. with autoimmune diseases and whatnot, and so many more that like it leaves you vulnerable. Yeah, it makes you it makes you vulnerable to other diseases, and your body is not up to like fighting strength. Yeah. Well, everyone was going radium fucking crazy in the 20s and 30s, and there was actually a variety of commercial products that were manufactured in which radium was an ingredient, uh, including infused water, toothpaste, cosmetics, and even radium brand creamery butter. If goop existed in the 20s and 30s, there would be radium. You absolutely know that, like, there would be. They would be all up in that radium shit. Like Gwyneth Paltrow would literally have a radium egg to stick up your vag. Like you just know. Yeah. You just know. Well, spas featuring radium rich water are apparently still occasionally touted as beneficial. And there are some that you can go to in Japan, for example. Still today? Yeah, that's what that's what some of the articles I read Mm, said. I'm I'm all right. I don't know about that. I'm okay. Um, but in the U.S., nasal radium irradiation was also administered to children to prevent middle ear problems or enlarged tonsils from the late 40s to the early 70s. That's too That's recent. too recent. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that, yeah. like... All right. Okay. This is a bunch of, like, hindsight of, like, whoa, okay, wow, people were really doing that, weren't they? Yeah. Um, it's going to be a lot of that in this. So one of the main uses was a self-luminous paint that was marketed uh, under the brand Undark. And beginning in 1917, the U.S. Radium Corporation, previously known as the Radium Luminous Material Corporation, but I will refer to them uh, for the rest of the episode as the USRC. Okay. So they were the major... Most uh, major supplier of radioluminescent watches for the military and their plant in West Orange, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. employed 70 workers, mostly women, to paint the luminous radium onto the watch faces and instruments. Mm So, you know, some like, I think they still have some of those like glow in the dark kind of watch faces today. Not used with radium, I'm assuming, but I don't fucking know. I think it might be. Um, and somebody listening probably knows better than I am, but better than I do. Um, but I think some of it has to, is, um, from those that it's like bacteria or something in the sea. Yeah. The bioluminescent. Yeah. Yeah. Like the algae, not bacteria. But, um, I think, I think that is where some of it is sourced from now. What's in a glow stick? I don't fucking know these things. I mean. Whatever's used in glow sticks, they probably use it. (laughs) In those watches today. That's always, that's always good. But yeah, like, so something that's like, I don't know, like phosphorescent or something. That's yeah. where it comes from. It's not radium today. Okay, yeah, good. So the women hired to paint the dials became known as ghost girls because the radium dust that they were exposed to daily made their clothes, hair, and skin literally glow. Oh, fuck no. Yeah, many of the women actually wore their best dresses into the the warehouses on Fridays so that the fabric would shine brilliantly when they went dancing after work. Oh, that's that's really sad. Apparently, Knowing what I know now. 
Yeah, um, I'm going to reference multiple times the book, uh, The Radium Girls by Kate Moore. Mm -hmm. I found it recently at my local library. So check your library. Highly, highly, highly recommend reading it. It really dives into like the lives of the women, not just names on like a like like a list. Yeah, Um, it really like humanizes them, which I think is really important. Um, But in the in her book she quotes one of the husbands of one of the dial painters about seeing um his wife's smock hanging up from after work and it gave him a feeling of quote a ghost bouncing around the walls oh that's always something that's every woman's dream is to be referred to by her spouse as just something that creepy no, it, her, like her no her smock just oh, hanging up after work okay. he like saw it in the hallway and, and like it it was glowing yeah and that can't be that. It can't be good for you. How do they think you? that was good for you? No, no. When know. it's a chemical that's doing that, it's not like you've got like just like a bunch of little fireflies making a home. Like, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's who. Well, yeah. Some of the women even uh, applied the paint to their teeth because it gave them radiant smiles. No. But I mean that that goes along that goes along with uh, that they made radium toothpaste. I think it was the same type of like brightening effect and, type thing and it's cheaper because it's there they've got it right they have yeah, it. yeah they've got it so they don't have to spend the money on that that, that presumably like expensive like crest white strips-esque toothpaste yep, yep. well uh everyone kind of wanted to work at the radium dial factory because the pay was roughly mm. three times the amount of an average working girl's pay at the time and the work was really light i mean they just they needed to paint the dials oh okay so, so somebody definitely knew something well we'll get to that <laughs> So, um, in an NPR article that I was reading, apparently, uh, the pay was five cents per watch. Uh, so that's about a dollar 20 in today's money. And the women would paint like upwards of 200 watches a day. So like, that's a, that's a lot (laughs) significant chunk of change in 1917. Yeah. 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 So everyone wanted to work there. And for several years, working at the radium plant was fun and well-paid, and many of the employees encouraged their sisters and nieces and sister-in-laws to apply. By the 1920s, several large families were working on USRC's floor, totaling around 300 girls at the peak of operations. And I'm mainly going to be talking about right now, I'm talking about the uh, New Jersey plant, but there are other radium dial painting plants across the country. Okay. So terrible things happen at this one, and you can assume this one was very publicized mm-hmm. um, because of everything that's going to happen. But um, you can imagine this was happening on different scales at different parts around the country at the same time. Yeah, this was everywhere. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, the bright element of radium has a very dark side. And this is going to be the science lesson portion. Yay! So the only stable isotope of radium is radium-226, and it has a half-life of 1,600 years, and that means it takes about 1,600 years to decay. Um, Wow. Yeah, not great. For as long as it lasts, any sample of radium will emit alpha particles in all directions, and normally alpha alpha radiation is harmless in small doses. Countless natural sources of this radiation can be found in the average kitchen and bathroom. Okay. Even in nature... Uh, it's full of this type of uh, low-energy particles, and they have a hard time penetrating even one layer of skin. But that's outside of the body. It's relatively safe. 
Inside of the body, however, it wreaks havoc on the body's tissues, and the warming glow of that radium puts out is caused by the element's atoms acting like tiny batteries. Okay. So, light photons strike the radium atom, bumping its electrons into a higher orbit. After the sun sets and it gets dark, those electrons spontaneously drop into lower orbits and emit a particle and some photons as they go. When the radium is placed next to human cells or in the bloodstream, like when it crosses a mucous membrane, such as the gums, it turns into a microscopic machine gun that gets lodged in the body's tissue, and the radium then fires off particle after particle at very close range, eventually mutating and killing the cells around it. So I can imagine that is why it had success in treating cancer. Right. Because it just... It relentlessly just attacks it, attacks it until it's it's gone. Dear but God. it doesn't just stay within the cancer cells. Yeah. It's going to kind of go everywhere. God, that's fucking so gnarly. You ready to get you ready to get fucking angry? Honey, I'm always angry. Well, here's <laughs> where we here's where we get furious. So the USRC sent out information to the was sent information uh by the medical community about the injurious effects of the substance. Mm -hmm. And the women working directly with the radium were not told any of this information. The owners and scientists of the plant carefully avoided exposure with lead screens, masks, and ivory-tipped tongs. The women were given no protection and were actually encouraged to lick their brushes to get a <gasps> fine point for detailing work. Yeah, we'll get to it. Um, the, the technique was lip-dip paint. So you were supposed I to lick vaguely... it, dip it, and then paint. Yes, yeah. I vaguely remember this now. Yeah. Um, so the reason the company gave for the difference in protection was that the male engineers were handling large bundles of raw material while the girls were never exposed to more than a small amount at once. But day after day during the war, and for many years after, the radium girls painted military and civilian watches and dials, licking their paintbrushes and handling jars of radium tincture as carelessly as they would handle any paint. Yeah, because how are they going to know? No one's telling them, hey, this is bad. They were explicitly told that it was safe. Yeah. And it, <sighs> it gets worse, worse. Like, how egregious these people were <laughs> with, like, like, trying to deny, deny. But, um, so it wasn't long before these dial painters began to experience the physical ravages of their exposure. Among the first was Amelia Molly Magia in 1922. Magia's first symptom was a toothache, which required the removal of the tooth. And this is where it gets the gross warning. So skip ahead like a minute or two. So Think of me. Remember me as you, as you don't suffer. Soon, the tooth next to it also had to be extracted. And painful ulcers, bleeding, and full of pus developed where the teeth had been. Holy shit. By May, her dentist thought Magia needed surgery to remove a fast-growing abscess he'd found on her jaw. And <laughs> this literally made my skin crawl. When he got the gums open, the bone didn't look right and it was too ashy and gray. So he gently prodded it with his finger no. to his shock and horror. No. The whole bone crumbled in his fingertip like ashes in a fireplace. <gasps> no, that's her fucking jaw, jaw that just that disintegrated. No, yeah, that's a horror. That's a scene in a horror movie. Yeah, that's horrifying. Oh my god, that's the that's the shit that you see when it's like whatever cosmic being is too old and they lose yeah. their power and they crumble. Yeah. It, it this is 
also disgusting, so Great. skip ahead again. Instead of removing a tumor, he wound up digging Magia's entire left jaw out with nothing but his fingers. No! Unbeknownst to him, the radium had perforated the bone cells and stripped them of calcium. It had, like a little machine gun, shredded the collagen inside the bone and left it as little more than a pile of splinters. <gasps> oh my god. Yeah. Imagine, imagine going in for a routine, just like surgery. Yep. You, think, you think you have an achy tooth and you're going to get it pulled out and then nope. You have no lower entire, half of your face. The entire left side of your jaw is gone. Well, that summer, the rest of Magia's jaw had to come out, oh followed by God. bits of her inner ear. No! <gasps> yeah, and finally, on September 12th, 1922, only eight months after her first toothache, Molly Magia was dead. The tumors had cut into her jugular vein and flooded her throat with blood, choking her to death in bed at the age of 24. Oh my God, I was even going to ask, and now I wish I, I... Oh God, so young. And you know... Half these women joined, like, lots of them joined because, like, yeah, the pay was good and, like, it was, like, kind of fun. Like, there was a lot of joking on the factory floor. These were all young women and everything. Um, one story that uh, Kate Moore put in her book was that um, sometimes the women would have a little fun and they'd, like, they'd carve, like, their their address mm-hmm. in, like, one of the watches. So it got sent to, like, a soldier. And Aww. sometimes they'd receive mail back and everything. And they had, like, like, a, like, like fun stuff like that that yeah. they were going through. And this is now what is happening. And she's one of the first. And it doesn't take long for other uh, women to fall into similar conditions. So doctors were puzzled as to the cause of her condition, and oddly, they determined that she had died of syphilis. Oh, fuck off. Yeah, it gets worse. Uh, Once it starts happening to a lot of women, um, USRC started encouraging the doctors and kind of blackmailing the doctors into putting different uh, causes of death on their their death certificates. So there's that fun thing. And like I alluded to, Magia wasn't the only girl that this happened to. Radium passes easily through the gums and into the blood, so around the time Magia got sick, all sorts of odd symptoms were cropping up amongst the shop girls. Grace Fryer was also having trouble with her jaw, as well as pains in her feet. Another girl suffered a total collapse of her vertebrae, as the radiation (gasps) did to her spine what it had done to Magia's jaw. Holy shit! Yeah. Others developed skin cancer, cataracts, throat cancer, other symptoms of long-term radiation exposure, such as loose teeth and hair loss. At the time, though radium was known to be acutely dangerous, nobody had any experience with radiation sickness, and the girl's symptoms were just attributed to just different things that they decided. No. And, (laughs) yeah, so USRC denied all responsibility for the deaths for almost two years. Just periodically, women would die. Now, are people... Every couple months. Are are women still applying for jobs at this like or is like word kind of getting around they're still applying for jobs because they're still all being told that it's safe okay these women are dying from different things okay um but before even starting operations the firm's president had commissioned safety studies on the glowing muck and had come away with that it was satisfied that it was safe because uh they had paid for the studies themselves Oh. <sighs> By 1924, when dozens of radium girls were sick or dead and the company suffered a downturn in business, 
an independent study, one that USRC did not pay for, established that radioactive paint was indeed hazardous when ingested. Who would have thunk it? Yeah. Outraged at the implications and financial ramifications of this study, USRC did something that might sound familiar with tobacco and big oil companies. They paid for another study and found what they wanted to find, that swallowing radioactive paint is good for you. No. USRC also lied to the Department of Labor, which had begun investigating into the verdict of the original report. One article I read even said, quote, when the report showed radium to be the source of the girls' problems, U.S. Radium rewrote um, Cecil and Catherine, these people that did their original Mm -hmm. report, the public health experts from um, Harvard, uh, Cecil and Catherine Drinker's report, claiming that every girl is in perfect condition. They then filed that report, the doctored report, with Drinker's name still attached <gasps> to the New Jersey Department of Labor. Oh, shit. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is a gigantic crime. Like, shit, man. Like, you, like, if people did that today? That's, that's that's wild though Whoa, I don't know. that's not good that's decidedly that's fucked not up. chill that's yeah that's fucked up well publicly uh they were privately pieces of shit but they were also publicly pieces of shit oh, because often, the company yes. the company denounced the women as trying to palm off their illnesses on the firm and decried their attempts to get some financial help for their mounting medical bills what the fuck yeah so none of this would fly after 1925 when Harrison Martland, Dr. Harrison Martland, studied the issue for himself. Martland would later become the man who coined the term punch drunk to describe damage to boxers' heads um, mm-hmm. after they had suffered in fights. Okay. So he's, he's doing good everywhere. He's like helping people out when people say like, ah, that's not a real thing. Yeah. So first, Martland reopened the case of Molly Magia. At the time... The cause of death was established by a coroner's jury, which was made up of just random ass people acting like a jury in a court case. And this proved to be as ineffective as it sounds. So Martlin, as medical officer of Essex County, abolished the jury system and hired competent medical examiners, which is how it should be. Yeah. uh, Just some random Joe Schmo off the street is not going to understand these complicated medical terms and uh stuff that's like you can only dumb it down so much Mm -hmm. for just a random person to understand Mm -hmm. so it it should be looked at by actual people in the field right so after it was exhumed and inspected magia's corpse showed no sign of syphilis but it had clearly been mangled by radiation similar results came through for the other girls who had died and eventually it was undeniable what caused their suffering so Plant worker Grace Fryer decided to sue, not just for herself, but for all the women affected by USRC's negligence. Good for her. Soon, four other women, Edna Hussman, Catherine Schwab, and sisters Quinta McDonald and Albina Laris, dubbed the Radium Girls, joined the suit. But the odds were against them. It took two years for Fryer to find a lawyer even willing to take on USRC. Countless attorneys turned her down, not only because they were afraid of the powerful radiation uh, radium corporations but they also uh they also disbelieved the women's claims or they were unprepared to fight a legal battle that demanded the overturn of existing legislation 
at the time, radium poisoning was not a disease that you could receive compensation for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hadn't been discovered until the girls got sick. And the women were also screwed by the statute of limitations, which ruled that victims of occupational poisoning had to bring their legal cases within two years. Wow. Radium poisoning was slow moving, so most of the girls didn't start to get sick until at least five years after they started work. But Fryer was the daughter of a union delegate, and she was determined to hold a clearly guilty firm accountable. Good. Good for her. Right? Even after the women found lawyer Raymond Berry, the litigation process moved slowly, but their time was running out. The women were given four months to live, but it didn't deter them from seeking justice for their fellow workers. Fryer said, quote, it is not for myself I care. I am thinking more of the hundreds of girls to whom this may serve as an example, end quote. Even though they wouldn't live to see all of the good their fight won, they wanted USRC to take responsibility for the illness of its workers, pay medical bills for those it had impacted, and implement safety measures to prevent exposure in the future. Mm -hmm. At their first appearance in court in January 1928, two women were bedridden, and none of them could raise their arms to take an oath. Oh, my God. Yeah. And these, again, these are all, like, young women in, like, their 20s. Yeah. Uh, At the hearing, USRC was granted an adjournment until September. Because USRC was clearly trying to wait out the effects of the radium poisoning, they received major backlash by the press. They were basically trying to, like, wait until these women died. Yeah. So that they wouldn't have to face any justice. So famed journalist Walter Littman wrote of the delay in the case, quote, One of the most damnable travesties of justice that has ever come to our attention. It is an outrage that the company should attempt to keep these women from suing. There is no possible excuse for such a delay. Mm -hmm. The women are dying. If ever a case called for prompt adjunction, it is the case of five crippled women who are fighting for a few miserable dollars to ease their last days on earth. End quote. Even Radium founder Marie Curie weighed in on saying, quote, I would be only too happy to give any aid I could, but there is absolutely no means of destroying the substance once it enters the human body, end quote. So literally every single one of these women fighting knows that they are going to die. Wow. That's... They're they're not fighting for this. They have families. Their husbands, their children are just watching them degrade as they like go up against this giant corporation trying to prevent it of other young girls who are still in these factories. God. Wow. Yeah. In an almost unbelievable act of hubris, USRC's president, Clarence Lee, said, quote, we unfortunately gave work to a many great people who were physically unfit to procure employment in other lines of duty. Cripples and persons similarly incapacitated are engaged. What was then considered an act of kindness on our part has since turned against us, end quote. Are you, f- oh my God. So he's saying we, we tried to be nice and hire people who like otherwise couldn't get employment. And we were, we were so, uh, so willing to give quote unquote cripple people a place to work. And now they're, they're suing us for our kindness. Yeah. He said that. I'm, that's disgusting. And also just like, why am I not surprised? Yeah. Like, there was another, there was another quote. Okay. So in a couple articles, it said that Clarence Lee was the president of USRC. And then in other places, including Kate Moore's book, it said that a man named Arthur Roeder was the president. 
of USRC. So maybe they were both at separate times. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Arthur Roeder was quoted in court. So uh, he was asked on the stand, what was the first case that you knew of? And he literally said, quote, I don't remember the name, end quote. <gasps> he could not name the first woman that died because of the work in his factory. So essentially, they were killing these people and they didn't know their names. They're dispensable. They were dispos- yeah. yeah, they were disposable people. Yeah. I mean... Which is ridiculous. And and honestly, maybe maybe they should have just not been so hateful of men in power. Maybe they and, maybe they should have had a better attitude and not been so angry. And it's crazy because, like, as people started getting sick, uh, another article that I read, it might have been in, in uh, Kate Moore's book, I don't exactly recall, mm-hmm. but at one point, the women were, like, they found out that, like, oh, shit, like, these women's jaws are literally disintegrating. Right. Maybe they shouldn't be, like, ingesting fucking radium. So they were given, like, cloths to, to wipe off the the paintbrushes still say no everything's fine but you now have to wipe them off on the on the cloth you can't put it in your mouth but then they took the cloths away because they were wasting too much of the paint by like like by like wiping it on the cloth so they're like no back back to putting it in your mouth now uh yeah this is this is everything's fine but now you got to put it back in your mouth isn't that fucking ridiculous? That's and and do you know who one of their direct descendants is? Jeff Bezos. No. Um but like it's just it's so it's so despicable and it's it's things like this also because I can't help but wonder like they hired women. Women couldn't get jobs at that time as easily. Um, well, this is also during, like, around, like, the First World War. Yes, when and that's... Women... Had to like, step all up. Of, yeah, and all of the, the husbands and brothers and sons, everyone went to go to the war, and these women, like, are like, we're taking all the jobs now. They we're held gonna it down. Do, yeah. They literally did everything that they possibly could and wanted to. Yeah. Lots of these women that, that, uh, that went into these uh, dial painting factories were like, I can't do a lot of physical labor and like this is like really good pay and i'm going to to do it and lots of women stayed after the war just because mm-hmm. they they enjoyed it yeah well and it, again it was good money and it wasn't like fantastic they were money. gonna it get like. It, like it wasn't like they were gonna get fired after the war so that's mu- that's uh, that makes a difference between what yeah. goes on your table versus nothing like yeah. it's just i i guess but what really just gets me here is they find these people who aren't seen as human beings and yeah. so that's how they can justify it it's ju- it's just it boggles my mind it yeah it's really and it's things like this where you want where you really want to talk about like oh women women aren't treated like differently from men women aren't like treated like like these women were literally treated as like just robots yes not even robots keep replacing yeah just keep replacing them because like oh one of them's gonna die of radium poisoning uh sweep it under the rug here it was syphilis yeah you take her job yeah it's things like this this is why we're angry like (laughs) this is it's just oh my god well um 
With the women's time running out, the Radium Girls accepted an out-of-court settlement in June 1928. They were each paid $10,000, which is about $151,000 today okay. in damages, plus $600 a year for as long as they continued to suffer from radiation poisoning. Additionally, both their legal and medical expenses were paid for by the company, and the case became known as the case of the five women doomed to die. Oh, that's just... Yeah. And imagine being one of those women... And yeah. just like, that's what they're... <sighs> yeah. Damn. But it didn't stop there. The New Jersey Radium Girls set the precedent for other dial painters. Catherine Donahue worked at a factory in Ottawa, Illinois. She and her fellow workers read the coverage about the USRC case, but their employer, the Radium Dial Company, claimed that the element mesothorium was the culprit in New Jersey and that the Radium Dial Company paint that they used was safe because it contained no mesothorium only radium and mesothorium is actually an isotope of radium it's radium 228 and it has a half-life of 6.7 years that's also way too long yeah uh but as expected when women started dying in illinois around 1935 the same statute of limitation hindered donahue and the other dial painters from suing this time there was no settlement and it was another two years before the Ottawa women had their hearing on July 23rd, 1937 with the Illinois Indus Industrial Commission. Their lawyer, Leonard Grossman, had accepted the case only two days earlier. <laughs> so I hope he knew what he was getting into. By that time, the Radium Dial Company had closed its Ottawa plant, opened one in New York and claimed that the previous company was defunct. In 1938, after more testimony before the Illinois Industrial Commission, including Donahue's from her sickbed after she collapsed at the hearing, oh the Ottawa dial painters won their case. The radium dial company filed eight appeals. Donahue survived long enough to know that the company's first appeal before the commission was unanimously denied. She died on July 27th, 1938, the day after radium dial's attorney filed their next appeal. Uh. On October 23rd, 1939, the United States Supreme Court declined to hear the company's final appeal and the lower court ruling was upheld. So the Radium Girls' sacrifice wasn't in vain. Dr. Martland worked, uh, his work had attracted attention and throughout the 1930s, several research institutes approached him for advice in safely handling even more dicey elements such as uranium and plutonium. In 1942, physicists at the University of Chicago successfully established a brief chain reaction. Three years later, the Manhattan Project produced several atomic bombs. Mm -hmm. For decades afterwards, the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission credited the research and experience gained in the USRC shop with, help, with helping them devise handling and safety protocols that kept thousands of young war workers safe during World War II. Even today, Dr. Martland's work on the radium girls and the effect of long-term alpha exposure is being cited, and it's not too far out to say that tens of thousands of people around the world have benefited from what was learned from the radium girls. Yeah. And that's the basic story. So there's a couple of afterwards. So the Consumers League of New Jersey successfully campaigned to have radium necrosis recognized as an occupational disease by the State Workmen's Compensation Board. So... If you work at a place and you get radiation poisoning, it is now something that you can uh, get workman's comp for, mm -hmm. <laughs> which it's crazy it took that long. Yeah. In 1941, New Jersey passed a bill making all industrial disease compensatable and was extended 
and they extended the time during which workers could discover illnesses so that statute of limitations can't get in the way. The case of the Radium Girls ultimately led to the formation of the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration, also known as OSHA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's a crazy afterward is that radium-based paint was not banned until the 1960s. What? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Why? Like... I don't know. <sighs> Uh, today, the former U.S. radium manufacturing plant in New Jersey is a Superfund site, and a Superfund site, if you don't know, is um, uh, a site that requires extensive cleanup. Oh, okay. Um, uh, it is, um, reading on the Wikipedia now, Superfund sites are polluted locations in the United States requiring long-term response to clean up hazardous material contaminations. And I think Jersey has the most Superfund sites. <laughs> so you're, I just want to make sure that I'm hearing you correctly, though. You're saying Superfund, right? Superfund. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, this all does not sound Superfund. Like, it's not Superfund. <laughs> I was like, um, who the fuck came up with that name? All right. That makes more sense. My... My last afterward before I get to the pop culture side of it is on March 1st, uh, sorry, March 1st, 2014, the last of the Radium Girls, May Keen, died in her home in Middlebury, Connecticut at the age of 107. Good for her. Luckily for her, her bosses weren't satisfied with her work as a dial painter. She never enjoyed the work and she had been quickly fired. Good for her. She was, she was, I think she was like 16 or 17 when she started working there. She was quoted later on as saying, quote, I often wish I had met him, her ex-boss, uh, after to thank him because I would have been like the rest of them. Oh, wow. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, so now we're getting into the pop culture side. The first is a relatively new movie. It came out in 2018. I think it is on Netflix, I believe. It's called Radium Girls. It has a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 51% audience score and 82% Google score and a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb. And the synopsis is, early in the 20th century, women working at the U.S. radium factory painting glow-in-the-dark watches, unaware of the dangerous working conditions with radium. Um, and it stars Joey King, oh. who we love from The Act. And uh, she was also, obviously, she's in the kissing booth. And she was in the Slender Man movie, which I totally forgot about. Oh, yeah. Right? What a throwback. Uh, you're right. Uh, Abby Quinn is also in the movie. She was in uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Uh, Scott Shepard is in the movie. He was in Dark Phoenix. And Neil Huff, who was in Moonrise Kingdom. And uh, what else do we have? There is a documentary uh, called Radium City. And it depicts uh, first-hand accounts of some of the watch dial painters in Ottawa, Illinois. Um, there's also a movie. I'm going to reference this a couple of times because um, uh, this movie is based on something else, which also spawned multiple other things. But this movie is called Nothing Sacred. It came out in 1937. So when this stuff was like kind of still happening, um, it has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 92%. With a 69% audience score, 86% Google score, and a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. And the synopsis is, certain she is dying from radium poisoning. Hazel Flagg is delighted to learn from her doctor that it was a false alarm. But when dapper and des 
desperate in New York City reporter Wally Cook shows up looking for a story about a young girl braving terminal illness, Hazel decides that she's sick again. Wally whisks her off to Manhattan, where her supposed courage wins her many admirers. The toast of the town, she falls in love with Wally and dreads being discovered. End quote. Uh, so it's kind of more of a fun time flapper romp into radium poisoning. You, you just do the Charleston right into a vat of radium. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, we're going to, again, we're going to come back to Nothing Sacred uh, a couple of times. But there is another short animated film called Glow that came out in 2007. It's four minutes long and you can watch it on Vimeo. It is uh, told by Joe Lawrence. So go check that out. There's also a fictionalized version of the story that was featured on the Spike TV show, A Thousand Ways to Die. I think it is uh, number 196. And it was also featured on the Science Channel's Dark Matters, Twisted But True. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to get into all of the books. There are several. Um, the one that I referenced multiple times is uh, Radium Girls, The Scary But True Story of the Poison That Made People Glow in the Dark by Kate Moore came out in 2017. It has a 4.34 out of 5 on Goodreads, and it is a nonfiction story told from the point of view of the women in New Jersey and Illinois. Moore is quoted in an article from The Atlantic talking about her inspiration for writing the book. She says, quote, I read other books about the girls and thought, why are there no books that tells the women's story that focuses on their journey? Yeah. What were they like? Um, a play, of course, delves into their lives, like the dynamic between Catherine, one of the dial painters who sued, and Tom Donahue, between a wife and husband. But what was it? What was it like when a husband knows his wife is going to die and he has to look after the children? The other books describe the story and what happened to them, but they they don't talk about uh, that Grace worked at a bank and was very intelligent. You don't know that. Albinia grieved because she lost all of her children and wasn't able to have a family she wanted. You don't know that Edna had a little terrier dog, mm. end quote. So that just like shows that she really got into like these actual women's lives. Yeah. She, she and not thought just, of them as human beings. Yeah, not just the things that happened to them. Yeah. Again, it's a fantastic book. Check your uh, local library for it. I got like the digital ebook version. So that's definitely an option. Um, there's other books, including Radium Girls, Women and Industrial Health Reform, 1910 to 1935 by Claudia Clark, which was published in 1997. It has a 3.98 out of 5 on Goodreads. And this is an account of the case and its wider historical imp implications. And Claudia Clark is a historian, so it is very uh, historically accurate. Um, there's also Luminous, the story of the Radium Girls by Samantha Wilcoxon. Wilcoxon, yes. Okay. Uh, came out in 2020, and it is a biographical fiction novel featuring Catherine Donahue, one of the women from uh, the Illinois case. It has a 4.47 out of 5 on Goodreads. There's also Glow by Megan E. Bryant from 2017, and is, is the story for young adult readership. Um, and it has a 4.05 out of 5 on Goodreads. There is... Um, Blasting through a couple of these, Marking Time, The Radium Girls of Ottawa by Heinz Dietrich Supan, Deadly Glow, The Radium Dial Worker Tragedy by Ross Molnar, Radium Halos, a novel about the radium dial painters by Shelley Stout, uh, and then Letter to the Editor by James H. Street uh, is the 
the short story that inspired the film Nothing Sacred. Okay. And a 1953 Broadway musical called Hazel Flag. And another movie that's kind of sort of based on it is 1954's Living It Up, starring Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Oh. Right? Yeah. Big names. Damn. Uh, there's also, like, the Radium Girls are also mentioned in several, like, short story collections, including Romancing the Atom, vignettes from the Atomic Mindset from Radium Girls to Nuclear Green by Robert J. Johnson. And then Radium Girl by Sophia Papa Marco and Radium Girls with an S by Amanda Gowan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also mentioned, uh, like Radium Girls themselves are also mentioned uh, in a story in Eleanor Swanson's poem, Radium Girls, in her collection, A Thousand Bonds, Marie Curie and the Discovery of Radium. Mm-hmm. There's an elaborate reference to the Radium Girls in Kurt Vonnegut's novel, Jailbird. Poet Lavina Greenlaw has written on the subject in The Innocence of Radium. Uh, Mark Michael Martone's short story, It's Time, is told from the perspective of an unnamed radium girl. And Henning Mankell wrote about the radium girl's suffering in his last book, Quicksand, What It Means to Be Human Being. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another play. There's a couple of theater performances that feature the radium girls, including The Shining Lives, written by Melanie Marnick and uh, Dramatist Play Service Incorporated, and it tells the story of four radium dial workers in Ottawa, Illinois. It premiered April 30th, 2008 at the Center Stage in Baltimore. There is Radium Girls, written by D.W. Gregory, and there is a one-act and two-act versions, and I think those like can be purchased to be like done in high schools and stuff. Oh, Wow. When I when I was researching it, they had like places where you can buy it so that like you could get the rights to put uh, the play on yourself. That's great. Uh, and then what I referenced earlier, Hazel Flag. It's a Broadway musical that ran for 190 performances between February 11th and September 19th, 1953. It opened at the Mark Hellinger Theater and was directed by David Alexander. It won the Tonys for the Best Actor in a Musical and Best Costume Design. Very that nice. Year. Yeah, we love it. Yes. There is a Scottish band called Idlewild that refers to the fate of the Radium Girls in the song Radium Girl on their album Everything Ever Written. And if we didn't do a fantastic job covering this case, you can also (laughs) listen to it on several other podcasts, including My Favorite Murder, The Dollop, and uh, Dark History. Okay. So, but we did such a good job that you don't have to, but if you want to, go for it. Hell yeah. And that's the Radium Girls. I'm down. Like like I said, I covered mostly the Jersey case because mm-hmm. there was a lot of um there's a lot of information on that one specifically. But Catherine Donahue of the um Illinois case, her story is heartbreaking because um like her husband and her children, they kinda like everyone knew what was gonna happen. Yeah. Because like you ingested radiation, like there's there's nothing you could do. They're, like, your fate was sealed. So um, in Kate Moore's book, like, when she talks about that, it's very, very sad. Yeah, this whole thing, it's just, it's tragic. It's, it's so wrong and unfair. And But the amount of things that have changed since this case, like, literally, it led to the formation of OSHA. Like, we yes, wouldn't have that's true. occupational safety and health <laughs> If it weren't, and 
all of the research that um that this case led to mm -hmm. uh they're very important and definitely like kate moore says in her book like we should know these women and who they are not just their names and what happened to them yeah so i mean this would just turn into an audiobook if i started like naming all of the interesting and like fun facts i learned about these women <laughs> from reading kate moore's book but again highly recommend go read it but other than that i think we're done for this episode i i i'm okay with being done i'm okay with still talking about it I, oh you have to talk about next week's episode oh yeah so we are done now uh, moving on <laughs> next week patreon patrons we have our poll we said we weren't gonna do one we did one we lied chalk it up to catholic guilt but yes vote we've got a we've got a little head-to-head and i really can't remember now what like comparison i made between these two but they're two really interesting ones in my opinion and so go check them out because right now we have a tie as of the time that we are recording this and so mm. my cats are less than enthused at the idea that they might have to pick what we're talking about this <laughs> for the next All episode right. But so yeah, so yeah. If, if so if you are a certain tier level on our Patreon, you can vote. Um it's sure to be a good time from what I've heard. Some of you like to watch the world burn, which I fully support. And sooner rather than later so that Caitlin has the uh time oh, to yeah, be I guess that able too. to dedicate to the episode. That's I guess also important now that she mentions it. Um yeah. but yeah. So that's that's us. That's where and we're at. And if you want to join our Patreon so that you have a say in episodes that come up in the future, you can do that for as little as a dollar, as much as what whatever you want. And you can find the link to our Patreon in our link tree, which is on any uh, like any bio of our social medias. And we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And our website is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. And our email is crimeculturepod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Yeah. Crimeculturepod at gmail.com. P-O-D. Yeah. You down with P-O-D? Yeah, you know me. <laughs> oh, we're not well. Um. <laughs> anyway, that's been us. You've been you. And... We will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.